Well, most of us know the story of the birth of Christ found in the second chapter of Luke. Not all of us are familiar with those stories that precede it of the women, mostly Elizabeth and Mary, primarily, mostly about God. Last week we heard Mary's Magnificat. Today's passage is a prequel to that, in fact. And it comes to us in the first chapter of Luke, verses 36 through 38. May God open up to us the message as it is sent by this word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And you came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was said to have been barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. So I have a problem with angels. It's not so much with angels per se as it is what we have done to them. Nowadays, we have turned angels into lovely little Christmas ornaments perched atop our trees, or sentimental little wooden dolls that we buy in hospital gift shops. Or in the movies, angels are quirky, fumbling characters like Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life. And if we want to give someone a compliment who's done something nice for us, we might say, oh, you're such an angel. We've even reduced angels to that evolved state of being that we become after death, saying, well, I guess God needed another angel in heaven. The point is that we have declawed them, hoping they will not mess up our carefully furnished lives. Now that we are scientifically enlightened and rationally educated They're just too supernatural for us to take seriously. We don't know what to do with them other than turn them into a sort of religious pet. 
Sure, they may be in the Bible, but, you know, back then, those people in the Bible thought the world was flat. What did they know? Apparently, they knew a lot more than we give them credit for. Yes, angels are in the Bible. In fact, they're all over the place, especially during our Christmas season. You can't really take the Christmas story seriously unless you take angels seriously, too. And they are anything but domesticated, blowing up as the heavenly host in a sort of fireworks finale in front of the shepherds on that first night of Jesus' birth, scaring them out of their wits. We paint them with swan-like wings, but I suspect they were more like stealth bombers, undetected until, boom, there they are swooping in on first Elizabeth and then Mary with completely unexpected news that rocked their world and our world, too, ever since. The Bible, when an angel shows up, as the great movie goes, you better hold on to your hat because it's going to be a wild ride. Which is why in every case, the first response of those who witness an angel is fear, and in every case, the first response out of the angel's mouth is, do not be afraid. If an angel shows up in your story, the plot that is your life is about to be turned upside down and inside out. And since we can, you know, prefer the safe confines of comfort and order rather than risky and sometimes stormy winds of change, we just assume they stay on our Christmas trees. Luke starts the mayhem in Nazareth. Nowheresville when it comes to Israel. He starts it with an Elizabeth, an old maid and long since given up for being barren. Out of nowhere, the angel Gabriel appears to her husband, Zechariah, to announce that Elizabeth would finally conceive and bear a son, and we would soon learn that this would be John the Baptist. Astonished, Zechariah simply asks, how can this be since we are so old? It was a fair question. They were pushing 70. But apparently Gabriel was thin on humor that night and struck Zechariah mute, which he would stay until John actually was born and they had him circumcised in the temple. Then, as Luke writes it, it was Mary's turn. And turn it was, a completely opposite way than Elizabeth. Mary is not long since past childbirth. She has not even considered it as a possibility, nor done anything to cause it. Probably somewhere around 14, engaged but unmarried, bearing a child was the last thing on her mind. And it would lead to a scandal of, well, biblical proportions. It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy when Gabriel crashed in on her with an opening line that guaranteed to get her attention. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And 
Mary, a poor peasant nobody, said, Me? Now, favored by God? Luke says rightly that she pondered what sort of greeting this might be and was perplexed, understatement, by the words. Gabriel tries to reassure her with that angelic refrain, do not be afraid. But sensing what comes next, she had every right to be. Again, he tells her, you have found favor with God, which caused her only to fear all the more. Mary was a Jew. She knew the Bible well enough to know that when God finds favor with someone, it means that they have been chosen for some monumentally hard and heroic task, like Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Deborah. The Jews themselves in toto. Mary was right to be perplexed and afraid, for being chosen as God's favorites was not one of her strategic goals, especially when she heard what it meant. You will conceive and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means Savior in Hebrew. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. I can just sense her, oh, 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 is that all? Phew! I was worried there for a minute that you were going to give me something that really was important. I have been chosen to become the mother of the Savior of not only Israel, but the whole world? No problem. Not exactly. Like Zachariah, she asked the same legitimate question, how can this be since I am still a virgin? Gabriel, more sympathetic to the young maiden than the old man, doesn't shut her up but explains to her that it is an act of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus will not only be her son but also God's son too. And then he lets her in on the other impossible news. I know you find this hard to believe, but guess what? Your cousin Elizabeth, you know, the 70-year-old plus, she is with child too. Then he says the most hopeful words in Scripture, I think. Don't be perplexed. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary draws a deep breath. And my take on it is that her final words are more of resignation than enthusiasm. How do you say it? Here, Here I am, Lord, the servant of you. So let it be according to your word. And there she was, this simple young peasant girl engaged to a solid, dependable man with a future, and all of a sudden, bam, an angel suddenly breaks into her life, and everything she held dear is now on the rocks. Her body, her reputation, her impending marriage, every facet of her existence. She would live the rest of her life under the shadow that grew out of that angel's message 
and the suspicion that surrounded the way that Jesus was conceived. She's called to be the mother of Jesus. That, under these circumstances, was bad enough. But she would learn over time what, on the one hand, is an incredibly powerful, almost eternally powerful gift of joy. It's also full of hazard and broken-hearted moments. When he was born, Mary, far from home, exiled, probably because of the scandal, gave birth to him in a cattle stall with no family around at all, completely alone, except for Joseph, who wasn't a whole lot of help after all. He was a man. Her fears about finding God's favor would be confirmed when she horribly and tragically watched as he was scorned, beaten, laughed at, and crucified. This is why St. Teresa of Lisieux was quoted as saying to God, if this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. You see, this is the thing with being chosen. As every fire person, soldier, policeman knows, being called and the hardship that goes with it cannot be separated. Finding God's favor does not spending the rest of our days in God's cushy little world in our offices, but instead facing the danger and the challenge and the mission that calls us into the world even at great cost. No wonder she was perplexed and afraid. And even all of that said, still, Mary obeys. Her faith and her trust overpowered her resignation, and she gave herself up to God. I know you don't like the word surrender, but that's what it is. Saying, let it be so according to your word. And it is from this act of trust and obedience that she has been called the Blessed Virgin Mary, worshipped and venerated for over 2,000 years. When I was growing up, I had a good friend who was Catholic, and his family had Mary pictures and images all over their house. And I often saw his mother praying the rosary beads in her hands, saying, Hail Mary, full of grace. I didn't really understand what it meant, and as a Protestant, it seemed a little strange. But what did I know? The only thing I knew about Mary was found in the manger story I mentioned earlier at Christmas Eve. But when I started preaching these stories 27 years ago, I came to understand why Mary is held in such high regard by so many. Now with that said, let me also say that the veneration and adoration of Mary, that Maryology has gone too far in my opinion. She is not meant to be thought of as the fourth member of the Trinity any more than the Bible is thought of to be that way for Protestants. In fact, raising her up as the co-redeemer of the human race, I think misses the point entirely. It's just another way to distance her, to push her away and raise her up to 
a level of divinity that none of us can aspire to. The point of this story is that she was a very, very vulnerable young woman, human being, a Palestinian peasant girl from the hill country of Galilee, and this is precisely why her obedience and trust mean so much. The way she responded to Gabriel's news is exactly, you see, the way that we are responding or called to respond to God's call for us, too. Sure, we're afraid, afraid of what God's favor looks like for us. We, too, may ask, how can this be? Because we're, after all, we're just human. We, too, think that living this kind of life from God is impossible. But let us take the angel's words to heart. Do not be afraid. Nothing is impossible with God. And if this is true, and I trust that it is, then ultimately there is nothing to fear and everything to rejoice in. For you see, the best in life is found not by what we are given, but how much is asked of us, especially if it costs. That's the best in life. This is where we find true joy and meaning and purpose. And the writer of Hebrews understood this exactly, this paradox, when he said, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. This is what Jesus' mother teaches us in this story. She endured a lifetime of hard and heartbreaking experiences, but not for nothing. It was all part of God's way with us in history. God's high drama of redemption, which is always how the favor of God is manifest in our world. By finding someone who is the least likely to be chosen and empowering them to face the Herculean tasks of faith and obedience. Me? We are not called to give birth to the Son of God, but we are called, each of us, to give birth to a new life, to embody the way of love and the power of redemption, the gift of forgiveness, the heart of compassion, and the edge of justice. Don't be afraid. God never asks that we do miraculous things but rather to allow God to do miraculous things through us. You've heard it said, God never gives us more than we can handle. That's not right. God never gives us more than God can handle. And inasmuch as we continue to lift ourselves up to be empowered by that God, then we are able to handle it too. God created this plan choosing to involve us human beings in the process, electing us to be in collaboration with his creation and this history. And again and again, God declares to us what is expected. To feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, and to proclaim good news to those who do not have access to it. 
while we wait for some miraculous intervention or get mired in the politics of it all, God still waits for us to be born anew into this kingdom of God. Okay, so the gestation period lasts a little longer than nine months for us. Maybe nine years, maybe 90. But sooner or later, we will give birth to this new way of life if we're going to become what we were created to be. While preparing for the Reverend Floyd Hooker's funeral, I met with his family last week to learn more about his life. He was a pastor of Presbyterian, five different Presbyterian churches, one of which was in Birmingham, Alabama in 1967. He was on the uh, Equal Rights Task Force at the time, and they had planned to march down the streets of Birmingham, 67, and so he went to his session and informed them that he would be marching that next day, uh, and there was no discussion about it, no real criticism. Uh, it was not that big of a problem. Uh, and then Floyd invited the session members to join him in that march, too. When Floyd got there, one had shown up. The rest were just afraid. But by now, by the mercy and grace of the angels in heaven, I suspect that they know of the new life and the favor of God in a way they didn't then. May it be for us as it was for Mary. Here we are, according to your word. May it be so. Amen. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God proclaimed, for the word of God made flesh, we give thanks and we practice together what it means to be disciples, what it means to be generous. Let us bring forth our tithes and our offerings.